This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Hodson, your guest host, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Our guest today is prolific writer and time management expert and mom of four kids, Laura Vanderkamp. She studies how busy people spend their lives, and she's discovered that many of us drastically overestimate how much we actually work each week, while underestimating the time we have for ourselves. In other words, Laura's research suggests that we're not as busy as we think we are, so maybe we don't have to be so frantic. Today, Laura will share some productivity and calendar management tips, and we'll talk about her charming and helpful new book, Juliet's School of Possibilities. Laura, in 2018, just last year, you wrote a book, Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, it was published in 2018. Now, in March 2019, you're coming out with another new book, this one called Juliet's School of Possibilities, a little story about the power of priorities. Tell us about your new book. Yeah, so I've written about time management for many years, um, and I've noticed along the way that people always respond very strongly to stories. It's really how we like to get our information. Uh, after my speeches, no one comes up to me and says, I really remember that statistic about something, but the, the stories are, are what we remember. And so I thought, well, why not give that a try? So I've written a book about time management that is a novella. It is about a ambitious young consultant named Riley whose life is falling apart on various dimensions until she meets um, this mentor figure, Juliet, who through the course of a very um, climactic weekend teaches her the difference between just being busy and actually spending your time well. So you get solid time management points across, but through dialogue, uh, give us sort of a sneak peek here. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that that happens is uh, Riley and Juliet go out on the boardwalk. This is set on the New Jersey shore, and I uh, go out of the boardwalk in a storm. And Juliet, in this in this storm, helps Riley see various visions of her future. And one future is when she's continuing in her current course of, of sort of not actively choosing how to spend her time and doing whatever seems most urgent and what is right in front of her. Um, and another is a very different future when she actually focuses on what she deems important and makes time for those things in her lives. And the two outcomes are, are very, very different. And I, I see this all the time in the people I study and, and I write about that. I mean, the difference between actively putting time toward your long-term goals and just sort of leaving that to whatever time is left over when there you know, never is any time left over. It's just night and day. It's night and day in terms of how much we can get done, and it's night and day in terms of how we feel about our lives and how we feel calm while still productive. I, I know that in, in your new book, uh, two words uh, are, are prominent, and that's 
choose well. Can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so Juliet has these words on a bracelet, which I, I ordered myself a bracelet that <laughs> says choose well after, after I wrote this. Nice. I thought, well, this is a good idea. Um, but she has this phrase, she says to Riley, which is that expectations are infinite. Time is finite. You are always choosing. Choose well. And what this is really getting at is that you know, the world wants you to do a million things. I mean, you will never be able to do everything that somebody might hope you'd do. Um, and so because of that, every minute you spend is already a choice, even if you can't see that. By doing one thing, you are not doing something else. And by not doing something, you're making a different choice there. So every moment is already a choice. And once we see that, um, I think that that can actually be a liberating realization because then we realize we are in the power, we're in a position where we can choose. Uh, even if it doesn't seem obvious that we are, we are always choosing. And so we can tell ourselves to choose well. In your 2016 uh, TED Talk that, that millions of people have, have seen, uh, you talk about the water heater uh, <laughs> example of how sometimes our 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 attention is mandated to certain things and we choose that and but you expand on that as to an example of time management can you talk about that a bit yeah so this story i mean i've seen thousands of time logs over the years i have people track their time for a week but this one really stood out for me um, it was a very busy woman and uh, she was tracking her time for me for that week and she goes out for a wednesday night for something and when she comes home her water heater has broken and so there's now water all over her basement um you know flooded basement this is a pretty oh, big deal it's, yeah it's no, horrible <laughs> it's horrible um public service announcement if anyone's water heater listening to this oh. is on its last legs just preemptively get it Exactly. I'll I'll say that. Um, So, you know, she's dealing with this, uh, the immediate aftermath that night, the next day, the plumbers, the the professional cleaning crew, everything that has to happen with this. And it winds up taking seven hours of her week um, as recorded on her time log. If you think about this, this is quite a bit of time. I mean, all the time management articles or life hack articles I read are always like, well, we're going to help you find an extra hour in the day. Well, she found an extra hour in the day, right? Except she didn't really. I mean, we talked about it. If if we'd had this conversation at the start of the week and said, you know, can you find seven hours to, (laughs) you know, read halfway through a a big chunk of War and Peace? Or can you find seven hours to, you know, write that white paper you keep saying you're going to write at work? And we'd all be like, no, 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 I'm way too busy. I don't have time for that. But, you know, when she had to find time because there's water all over her basement, she finds these seven hours. So, you know, the key to time management is deciding to treat our priorities as the equivalent of that broken water heater and get to them, even if we're busy, treat them as urgent as water all over the basement. You obviously are are a creative person, but uh, I was fascinated with your creative process with this new book. Uh, I read your blog that uh, you just recently published uh, about it. Walk us through how this book came about, your latest book, Juliet's School of Possibilities. Well, there's two different versions of it. One is that my publisher said, hey, we're looking to do some fables. Are you interested? And I said, yes. And I wrote a book in about three weeks and then took a little bit longer to edit it. But uh, yeah, that's one version. That's of not exactly the, that's not the, exactly the whole story, though. The right? whole story, though. Um, 
So I had had this idea of setting a story in this house that I run past frequently, something that would look like this house that intrigued me. And then I had this idea of a setting on the New Jersey shore. And I had various characters who came to me over the years. And in 2014, in November, I participated in National Novel Writing Month, which is this challenge where you try to write a 50,000 word novel in the month of November. And so I wrote a draft of something that was also, I mean, basically called Juliet's School of Possibilities. And I wrote this novel and it was not particularly good. Um, I decided to try again in November of 2015. It was better the second time around. Um, November of 2016, I elected to spend my National Novel Writing Month time editing it. And it, it was okay, but, you know, I put it away. It was just like, I, I don't know that anything's going to come of this. It's amazing but, that putting away what that does, doesn't it? Yeah, well, but then that summer, you know, I hear from my my editor, like, we're, we're interested in doing some fables. And I said, well, you know, there's interesting. I, I have a setting. I have a title. I have a couple of characters that I have developed. And they're going to have to be repurposed a lot, but I think I could turn it into something. And so since I already had all that background material, then I was able to write this novel, which I uh, hopefully readers will think does work, um, you know, much, much quicker. And, and so one version is that it's a very quick process. The other is that this had been incubating for years. This may be a bit out of order, and, and I apologize if if it is, but you mentioned earlier that you had people write journals and, and keep track of their time. Uh, a lot of what you've written over the years, in fact, most of what you've written and, and talk about is is research-based. How in the world did you get people to to track their time for you? That's That's amazing to me. I don't, you know, people are just willing to share all kinds of things. I mean, sometimes it's because I, you know, I offer to look at their schedules and give them ideas. And sometimes people go like, well, I've, I've been telling myself I'd like to exercise. Maybe this lady can help me find time to do it or time to read or more time with my family or more time to focus on, you know, those big important work projects that never seem to get done because we're so busy with other things. So I think that's one reason. Uh, many people are just curious. I mean, why do we walk around with fitness trackers on our on our wrists, uh, you know, recording our steps? Like, why is this of any interest <laughs> to anyone? Uh, you you walk or you don't, but uh, we we seem to like to know these things about ourselves. So, I, I think people have also done it in in the pursuit of of greater self knowledge too. And and you had really successful people do this as well, correct? Uh, yeah, a number of people who have. Um, I've done a couple large-scale time diary studies, having many people track their time, um, you know, with different requirements on it. I did one of professional women a few years ago who had big, demanding jobs and also were raising families. Uh, had them track their time for a week, and that book became I Know How She Does It, and a lot of data on how people have it all. And you know, it, it is possible. It turns out that there are people who are successfully combining work and personal lives and, in fact, getting enough sleep. And I think that's the co cool thing about data is people have all sorts of stories they tell themselves about where the time really goes. But uh, data tells you for sure. And the data is often very different from the stories. And sometimes inflated. I, I used to be a, I used to be an attorney. <laughs> I know some people claimed that they worked 70, 80, 90 hours a week, and I went, not really, you know. Yeah, so some of those may have been uh, 
multiple build hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've managed to pull that off. I'm on a plane going to one client to right. working on a document for another. Right. This, this time is counting multiple ways. Yes. <laughs> You talk about making choices, and and you, you that's a theme in your uh, new book that that's coming out. Uh, uh, time is finite. I, I love the the phrase that you said with that. How about things though that intrude on your time, like like emails? Uh, I've gone through various stages of my life where emails have absolutely dominated my every waking moment. Uh, now I'm trying a new solution. But but it's a form of intrusion into into my time. Is it just whether I give in to it or, or how does one manage that? Yeah, well, email is definitely one of those things that can be hard to get control of. And that is the particular cha- one of the particular challenges that Riley, the heroine of Juliet's School of Possibilities, is dealing with. Um, you know, there's e- constant email. At one point, she looks at her inbox and feels like the number is rising like the, you know, seconds on a stopwatch. <laughs> right. Uh, which I think some of us have had that experience of like, how could all this stuff be coming in? Who are all these people? Like, how, how did they find me? Um, but... Uh, the the truth is, you know, email is a tool to do our jobs. It generally is not our jobs itself. And and so we need to use it as a tool that we are in control of. Um, I find for most people, you have to choose how much time you're going to give to email because it will expand to fill all available space. So if your goal is staying absolutely on top of it, you will never do anything other than email. If your goal is that I will spend exactly 90 minutes a day on it in three half hour chunks. You can also do that. And maybe not everything will get responded to quickly. Um, Maybe some of it will, some of it won't. Um, But then you'll have time for other things. And it turns out that the reason people are probably emailing you is that they think you have good ideas. And if you're constantly on email, you no longer have good ideas because you don't have space to think them up. So uh, I think sometimes we have to maybe not meet the immediate expectation in order to meet a bigger one of, of being the kind of person that people wish to email in the first place. I'm trying a new setup just for myself where I, on weekends, uh, I, I look at my emails. I sort of do triage of my emails. If something's an emergency, I take care of it. But if not, I let it go to Monday morning, and then Monday morning, it's the, it's the first thing I, I do. It's not perfect, but it's it's helped a little bit. But managing expectations is the problem I'm having because people expect you to respond quickly. Well, they can expect it, but that doesn't mean you need to do it. I mean, this is the thing. Expectations are infinite, right? Right. So uh, given that time is finite, your choice to meet the expectation of an immediate response to an email is a choice not to do something else. And well, what is that something else? If that something else would have been a more important thing to do, then then probably you should go ahead and, and do whatever that other thing is. And I would actually challenge you. You said you get to it first thing Monday morning. I would, I would challenge you to push it off a little bit on Monday morning. Um, maybe you can carve out the hours of, say, 8 to 10 a.m. to work on some big project. Uh, and use that focus time and then get into your inbox for the first time, maybe around 10, 1030 on Monday morning, it will still be there. Like, I mean, the, the stuff is yes, still going to be there regardless, you know, and, and the people who try to get down to inbox zero, like it lasts for about 10 seconds before somebody responds to something that you sent to get down to inbox zero. Uh, so it'll still be there. But if you carve out that time first to work on bigger things, then the big stuff gets done and email can fill around the edges. Mm-hmm.
We'll be back after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. I'm very curious about the impact of technology in our lives, and we use technology to supposedly make things easier, such as email, but now text messages, they're even more intrusive, I I find, than emails. But it seems like the more technology we have, the more we rely on that technology, but it takes away from our time doing other things. Uh, would your argument be that that's just a matter of choice? I think so. I mean, I don't think technology is good or bad. And I think there's some upsides to the technology we have now. Um, I mean, the fact that we don't have to be in an office, people worry about, well, there's no dividing line between work and life anymore. But so what? I mean, (laughs) the fact that you can you can answer an email at night in the past, you might have had to stay at the office until it was all done. Um, you know, people have always felt like they have been working longer than anyone else in human history. Right. I, I, I collect old business magazines. I collect old house making magazines. Like I, I like to see old magazines because it tells you what people were thinking about in life as it was. Right. And there was this um, Fortune magazine from the 1950s. And one of the topics at the time is, that, you know, if, if marginal tax rates were lower, would people work more? Right. You know, standard economic theory here, Milton Friedman and all the executives they surveyed were like, well, it is absolutely impossible for us to be working more. So like, sure, we'll take lower taxes, but we can't work anymore. We're already working, you know, around the clock as hard as we possibly can. And I'm sure like most people now assume that they're working harder now than if they've ever possibly been in the past. So it, it, we always have this idea. That, that we're busy and, uh, you know, I, I, it may or may not be true. Um, but if we, we look at the data on where our time goes, then we can figure out for sure. I know some people have different priorities with their time. I'm sure it's individual to everyone. Uh, with me, for example, it's finding time to think or finding time to be creative. How does one go about doing that? Do, would it be that I make that a choice to make that a priority in my day? Or or how does one go about fending off all the distractions so that one can spend some time thinking or creating? Yeah, I think that creativity, it, it feels wonderful to devote time to the creative process and to creating something right. that is then there. I mean, your idea is made manifest. Um for many people, it works to do it first. Uh, the reason I suggested carving out that 8 to 10 o'clock on Monday morning is then it's done, right? You've, you've put the time in before you start getting distracted by everything else. Most people have more discipline and focus in the morning, so that makes it a better time for those things that are important but not urgent. Um, you know, I think making it a habit, like if, you know, every Tuesday and Thursday night after work, you go to the library for an hour to write before going home, that could be a way to fit it into your life or get up early on Wednesday and Friday mornings and write for a bit. 
um, or have an agreement with your spouse, you trade off on weekends. Each of you gets two hours on Saturday to do your own thing and you can use that time for your creative process. Um, as for getting ideas, I, I find that many of us, uh, in, in Juliet's School of Possibilities, Riley comes up with this sort of career saving idea when she consciously steps back from being plugged into everything. And I think that happens for a lot of us. Um, I know that I tend to get my best ideas while I am running around my neighborhood. I don't listen to music. I just run. Um, and, and it's sort of uncanny how often if I'm stuck on something, if I just go for a run, I will figure it out while I'm out there. It, it's, it's also a, a time of quiet. Uh, you know, when there's just no noise around, uh, that that seems to be a priority with me as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of having that quiet time. And, you know, some people like to have, have more stuff around them as, as they're creating. I'm a bit of an, an introvert, so the quiet is very important to me. But I, I think everyone has to figure out how they work best. And then make sure you set up your life to use that. Harkening back to your TED Talk in, in 2016, you had a, a great part of that uh, that certainly resonated with me, and that was uh, your Friday afternoon planning sessions uh, where uh, people are not that productive on Friday afternoons and uh, what do they do with themselves. Talk about uh, how you would like to redirect some people perhaps. Yeah, Friday afternoon tends not to be most people's peak productive no, time. No, it's not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm totally sliding into the weekend of after about 2 o'clock on Friday. You got it. Um, but since this is mostly wasted time anyway, you may as well repurpose it for something you can do. And I think most of us can think about what future us should be doing, even if we're not willing to start anything new on Friday afternoon. Um, so I take some time on Friday afternoon, and I plan the week ahead. I look at my calendar. I look at my projects. I say, well, what are the most important things for me to be doing over the next week in three categories, career, relationships, self. And a reason to do three categories like that is it nudges you to put something in all of these categories because it's very difficult to make a three category list and then leave one of the categories blank. We, we just tend not to do that. So right there, you know that you're going to have at least one priority in each of these areas and you're going to put it on your calendar for the next week. And if you do this repeatedly, you will make progress on your big long-term goals. I'm not saying that everything else won't fall apart in the course of the week, but if you can commit to just doing these handful of things, uh, you'll feel so much more in control of your life. And putting self in there I, I, I really seemed important to me. Uh, and many times, I don't think people do that. Yeah, I mean, we, we have different things that we, we focus on, and certainly professional priorities tend to get done because there's the accountability of the workplace set right. up around us. Um, relationships can wind up happening just because, again, your family, you have to do things for your kids, your spouse. I mean, I would suggest putting things in there that are kind of the nicer, nice to do, not have to do things. But uh, in the self, it's, it's easy to sort of overlook. But um, you know, maybe it's reading a certain book or doing a certain kind of exercise or um, what other other self-care rituals you might have. But but putting this into your life, it's not even so much the time itself is that it changes your story. Like if you're the person who's like, well, I do, you know, make time to read novels two nights a week or I, you know, make time to get together with a friend once a week. It, it becomes harder to tell yourself this story that I have no time whatsoever and the I have no time whatsoever story is a very pernicious and unhelpful one. 
um, because it keeps us from feeling like we do have choices and then we do have the ability to make progress on the things that matter to us. Being in control of our own narrative <laughs> in a way. Exactly. Yeah, you write your own narrative. You can be the, you know, write your own autobiography. You don't have to sort of accept whatever story you've you've conjured up from wherever else. We've been talking about your new book, Juliet's School of Possibilities, a little story about the power of priorities. But I also wanted to talk, if we could, a moment, Laura, about your podcast. You, you have a Best of Both Worlds podcast with Sarah Hart Unger. Tell us about that. Yeah, so my friend Sarah and I, uh, she's a practicing physician and has three young children. Um, and she and I both write blogs uh, that one of the topics we love to write about is the intersection of work and family uh, from the perspective of people who really enjoy both. Uh, that we both really enjoy our careers and find them meaningful. And we both enjoy our family life and find that meaningful as well. And so we started this podcast about a year and a half ago um, that every week we, we talk about topics related to managing our lives and getting more out of life, both at work and at home. That that work-life balance that that you talk about, in, as well as career development, parenting. Uh, my my daughter is a thirty-six-year-old new mom, uh, and she she's going through a, a sense right now where she is just absolutely overwhelmed, <laughs> and and it sounds like some of the topics that you talk about uh, would bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, well, I hope she'll listen to it. Uh, I mean, the thing is, you know, new parenthood is is a rough transition for, for many people. But the good news is kids do grow up um, and they do, um, you know, develop more into these little people that we can interact with. And they're often very fun little people. And so, you know, by, by the time you're a few years in, it, you can sort of start to relax and enjoy this this life. I've certainly been noticing that myself now. My, my kids are 11, 9, 7, and 4. And now that nobody's under 3, it's it's just a different world. Totally different world. No newborns or toddlers. No around. newborns it, or toddlers. I, know, like, uh, I don't even have to bring a diaper bag. It's amazing. <laughs> best, of, best of both worlds. How do people get uh, your podcast? Um, well, you can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or any place that you listen to um, to podcasts. Just search for Best of Both Worlds. And they'll hear conversations and uh, get some tips along the way, I take it. Uh, we love tips, and we answer a listener question every, every week. And um, lot, uh, it's such a great community of people who are also interested in exploring these, these issues of the intersection of work and life um, from the idea that you don't have to choose between the two. You can really go all in on both. Laura, thank you so much for talking with us. Best of luck with your book. And I know you're launching a, a book tour uh, you're probably going to be very, very busy in the next few weeks. Uh, maybe. I like to tell myself I have all the time in the world. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Today, we've been talking with time management expert and busy mom, Laura Vanderkamp, about how to feel less busy but get more done. Today's career tip is that to make sure you find time for your high-priority work, make appointments with yourself on your calendar. Whenever possible, commit to an hour or two when you'll say no to distractions and concentrate on your top projects. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. 
Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your guest host, Tom Hudson. And your regular host is Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. If you've enjoyed our show, please tell your friends, and we'd love it if you would give us a five-star rating. Thank you.